Hey everyone, Justin here with Whitetail Theories Podcast on the mic today. Uh, returning, actually, on the mic, uh, we have Sean Trump with Northern Timber Outfitters. What's going on, Sean? Nothing much, Justin. How's it going? Good, brother. Doing good. Ready for some waterfowl season. Doing a little gator hunting this weekend. It's it's all coming together now. Yeah, I know. It's knocking on, hunting season's knocking on the door, and uh, I'm struggling to keep everything lined up so i can be ready but i'm i'm amped up <laughs> well man it always seems like uh when season ends we're like man it's gonna be forever until it comes and then all of a sudden it's boom there it is and you know you're oh, yeah. with your pants it, down <laughs> oh yeah hey, that's exactly what happens i say every year i'm gonna be so prepared for next hunting season like it's game on I- i'm serious this year now i'm real serious this year and every year I find myself in the same boat and it's just like, man, one of these days, maybe, maybe I'll actually be fully prepared. But like, you know, I haven't even put cameras out for deer season yet. I haven't shot my bow. So it's like, it's knocking on the door and, and I got to get ready. Well, it's definitely not for lack of trying. We just stay so busy. It's definitely hard, but we'll get to it and we'll drop birds and deer and, have a good old season like every year. <laughs> Absolutely. So chaos is part of the fun. Yeah, no, it definitely is. It definitely is for sure. So for those who do not know already, we have had Sean on the podcast before. Um, he is the owner of Northern Timber Outfitters. He makes calls. He makes fishing lures. Uh, well, fishing jigs. Um, there's really no one size fits all with uh, with this company here. Um, Sean's continuing to. Um, I wouldn't really say innovates the word, but get into new, uh, get into new types of calls such as buck grunts and scents and things like that. So really trying to grow the business here. But Sean is actually um, our featured partner for this month with Northern Timber Outfitters. Um, for those that are interested in it, um, we have it on our service side private hunt team page. The information for that giveaway that we're going to be having at the end of the month. Sean's going to be giving out some custom calls. Um, we're going to be giving out some service side swag, um, but all in all, this whole month has been primarily focused around waterfowl. So we've been trying to do podcasts, webinars, um, you name it. We've been trying to do it uh, when it comes to waterfowl. That way, everyone has the knowledge they need to be successful. So me and Sean started talking, and we were like, "Hey, let's do a waterfowl basics uh, episode." So that's what this episode's going to be about, uh, primarily here. Um, so Sean, I tell you what, we will jump right into it. Then let's talk some waterfowl basics. So we'll start off with basics, meaning where do you even start? You know, you literally have nothing. You literally want to go out this weekend to waterfowl hunt. If season was open, where would you even begin? Uh, The first place you're going to want to begin is you need to figure out the rules, regs, limits, and everything for your state. So for example, like here in Pennsylvania, we have two different duck zones. There's the north zone and the south zone. <clears throat> and they're, the state's pretty much cut, like, directly in half on a horizontal line for the south zone and the north zone. Um, and then, you know, you have your licenses that you have to get. You have to have a federal waterfowl stamp no matter what state you're duck hunting in or goose hunting to, to hunt waterfowl. And, you know, you can just go over to the post office and pick that up. But, um you know, so you, you'll want to look into your rules and regs and stuff like that. And um, I've been working on this thing on the website, and I was really hoping to have it done for when this podcast drops. But uh, 
you know, life has gotten in the way a little bit, but I'm working on something that divides every flyway up so that you can go on and you can find those pages easier. But find out your rules and regs. Uh, make sure you have the proper licenses. Make sure you go pick up a federal waterfowl stamp from your local post office. Um, some states you can buy them online. Like I know PA, you can buy yours online. Yeah, and they we can mail, too. Yeah, they'll mail you one. And a lot of times, I'm pretty sure PA still does it. They give you a temporary one. It's like, hey, yeah, he purchased this. We're just sending it to him. Gotcha. Um, and you got to print that out. But after that... Um, Really, to get into it, you don't have to spend a ton of money. But what you have to look at is, one, what are you hunting? You know, what types of ducks and where are you hunting? Um, You know, it changes from flyway to flyway and from state to state. You know, up here in Pennsylvania, most of the stuff we hunt is like rivers and creeks and maybe some small wooded ponds and stuff. Where like where you're at, Justin, it might be more, um, you know, the bayou and, and swamps and stuff that you're getting into and the ducks are going to be different, you know, up here in October, pretty much all we shoot in our first week long season are wood ducks. Um, it's not that there aren't mallards around. It's just that there's such an abundance of wood ducks and, um, you know, the mallards they're, they're typically at that point in the year, they're still kind of resident birds that haven't moved out yet. And, you know, they just, they know they're, they're not stupid. They're very educated. They, they're kind of like resident geese in the September season. They have their, they have their schedule and they know where they're going. So you have to look at what you're going to, what you're going to be hunting. You gotta, you gotta know what's in the area. You know, you don't want to be, uh, going out and buying, uh, decoys for gabbles and widgeon. If all you have are, you know, mallards and wood ducks, you know, it's not to say that they wouldn't work, but you want to make sure that you have the decoys that you need for the birds you're targeting um so first things first it sounds like check your regs yeah get your get your stamps get your licenses find out exactly roughly what type of bird you're hunting so you know what to target so that's kind of where we're at now those are good basics i'm just noting them down here for the show notes um so every yeah yeah and i kind of i kind of started running with that without kind of you know oh you're good bro giving it a break but um, no, you go on into it, man. Yeah. So, you know, you, you'll want to know what kind of, you know, what kind of decoys you have to have. And the, and the other thing too, is with where you're hunting is you need to know, you know, do you need a boat? Do you have a boat? Um, can you access it with a kayak or a canoe? Can you walk in? And I always tell people who want a waterfowl hunt, the best time to scout spots, especially if you don't have a boat is now, because in the summertime, you know, typically Water levels are lower than they are in the wintertime. And if you fall in or you go in over your head or something, you're not going to freeze to death. You know, you're not at risk for hypothermia. You're not finding yourself in a life or death situation. You can find where, you know, where you can stand, where the bottom's hard, where it's soft. You can figure that stuff out now and then you can, you can know for the season and stuff will change. If you're hunting rivers and creeks, you know, like up here hurricane season comes through and what's out there on the river now how the river is the holes may not change so much but you know brush piles and stuff that we might use as a natural blind all that stuff's going to change come come duck season there'll be stuff that was there that isn't and vice versa um so you know you want to make sure you're being safe about it if you have a boat 
I mean, you don't need to have a boat to waterfowl hunt, but sometimes that really opens the door for more opportunities. You know, you can hunt lakes then um, and get to different spots that maybe you can't walk into and such. You don't have to swim so, to go get your bird. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. Um, like we have a lake here that you can hunt, and actually it's usually pretty good for waterfowl. But the reason why I kind of haven't really dove into it yet is because you cannot take any sort of watercraft on it. You can't take a kayak out on there. Really? And my thing is like, okay, there's quite a bit of the, the lake like on the one shoreline where you can wade and it's not that deep. But my thing is, is what happens if we shoot a cripple and it goes down and it's, you know, and it's going and we get to a point, you know, I hate not recovering a bird. Right. You know, it's like, and it's going out and it gets out to where you can't go or, you know, you can't, you don't know where the bottom is. You don't know where those edges are. And next thing you know, you take one step and the depth changes two feet and you're up in over your waders and stuff so you know the biggest thing is is you want to be safe about where you're hunting and you want to know where you're hunting um obviously if it was a situation where it's like man i'm gonna try duck hunting out this weekend and say it's monday or tuesday you know and it's it's november and stuff you may not have as much of the flexibility to check those spots out but it's still doable and it's still something you're going to want to do you're going to want to kind of do that spot scouting not only for the you know the spot you want to hunt um but for where are the birds and what are the birds so gotcha no and i mean you know what i i I love that you kind of started with that obviously legal legal is huge because if you're not uh you could possibly lose your hunting rights your gun your truck your boat whatever you know your dog Uh, i don't think they take your dog but (laughs) you know what i mean yeah you can pretty much lose everything um and then also the getting out there because at the end of the day you can e-scout you can ask a friend you can get on Facebook. You can do all kinds of stuff. You can ask Grandpa, but nothing compares to boots on the ground, getting out Absolutely. there, seeing what's going on, especially if you're going to be going out there in the dark. You know, if you're going to be yeah. going out there in the dark, you need to know what's going on. And like you said, maybe it isn't as dangerous in that beginning of the season, but when it does start getting cold, you are at risk for hypothermia in those northern states, especially those northern, northern ones like Minnesota and North Dakota and um, you know, things like that. So, um, love yeah. that you brought that up. Know, know where you're going, people. Go out there. We're all busy. You know, we, me and Shaw were talking about it in the beginning here. We're all busy. It's hard to scout. But if you can set even a day, even a six, eight, six to eight hours just to go out and find those opening day spots or when you're able to go, um, it's definitely always going to help you be more successful than not, for sure. Absolutely. And sometimes you don't even need a day, you know, like here, I, the areas, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's plenty more areas that are within 40 minutes to an hour of me that I can duck on. Like there's one big lake that's about 35 minutes from my house that is great for waterfowl hunting. Um, you kind of got to wait till a little later in the year cause you got get guys fishing and stuff who, you know, they just don't care. They'll run right through your spread with their boat and all but it's great for waterfowl hunting and you can go there and it's like you know come season i'm gonna have to put some time in and, and really i'm gonna have to spend a day and a, a tank of gas in the boat over there cruising around the lake and and finding spots and all but like for me you know if uh you know waterfowl season starting starting saturday and, and today's 
Friday and it's like, I got a couple spots in mind on the river I want to go hunt. It's like, cool. I get done work at three o'clock because I start at six o'clock in the morning and, you know, I'll just come home, grab the boat and the binoculars and I'll just go do some cruising around, just cruise around the river, see what's out there and stuff, see what I'm dealing with. But for me, I've been hunting the same spots for the last, you know, six years. So I kind of know the depths and stuff of the river and, you know, where to expect, you know, it to be deep and to be shallow and stuff. And I kind of know, you know, as far as the safety aspect of being in the water goes, what, what to expect. But, you know, sometimes you don't need that whole, you know, you don't even need a whole day to go check out what your bird situation is. Nice. Well, thanks for throwing in there. Cause everyone knows I'm a new to waterfowl hunting. Um, so I got to get out of that habit of, of, you know, when I deer scout, I'll, I'll go out there all day. Maybe it's just who I am. Maybe, maybe a lot of other people don't do that, but I always take a day when I'm scouting to uh, see what's happening at a different time. So that's awesome. Now let's jump into, let's do this so we don't get too far ahead. So we're doing great. I love, I love the track that we're going on for basics and hopefully the listeners do also. Um, so we've got regs, we've got getting out there to scout. Now let's start with, you don't have a boat. You don't have a bird dog. It's just you, a pair of waders, and a shotgun. You're going out there. Um, let's let's keep it specific to your area. That way, we're not. You know, I don't want you having to talk about Florida when you're in Pennsylvania or areas that you are familiar with. I know you go over to what Jersey and Maryland and stuff too. So yeah. Um, let's talk about they're getting out there. What's a good time to get out there? What what kind of attire should they have for these this opening season? Alrighty, so let's kind of just hit the basics here. We'll talk about that, and then we'll do, like, decoys. I know we talked about that a little bit. We'll do decoys and calls and stuff, and we'll kind of just go in that order because okay. I, I think that'll kind of go the best. So if I'm up here in northeastern – well, I'm in southeastern PA. Um, if it's October, it's not super cold. Like, if you fell in the water in October, in your average southeastern Pennsylvania October um, – you're not necessarily like at a high risk of dying. Um, I've gotten wet in October and it sucks, but most of the time I end up sticking it out. Um, I have fallen in, in January and that was the scariest moment of my life. I thought, I thought I was done <laughs> and, um, you know, I went full bore in the water, but if you're going out in October, you know, you don't need necessarily a heavy winter jacket. If you were here in Pennsylvania, you know, you got to look at your weather and stuff for your area because every area is different. If you're up in Maine and it's your first season, it might be it might be colder than where it is where I am. So you kind of got to look at your weather and stuff to know what you're going to do for layers and everything. But um, I usually like to be at the spot an hour before sunrise. And um, a big part of that is, you know, it takes it usually takes almost all of that hour to set up no matter what. Sometimes I like to be there earlier, depending on where I'm going. Sometimes I like to be there earlier, but say you can shoot at six 45. I want to be at the spot at five 45. It's going to take me 40 minutes to get there between leaving my house and stopping at the gas station, gassing my boat up, um, grabbing my, my coffee and everything. So, um, you know, I like to leave my house usually around like four 30 is when I'll leave. You know, it takes, it takes, sometimes it takes a half hour just to get the boat in, get everything loaded in the boat. Um, get your waders on stuff. I don't like riding to the spot in my waders for two reasons. One, it's uncomfortable. And two, 
Um, the last thing you want to do when you're hunting period, but especially waterfowl hunting is sweat before you get out into the cold, because if you sweat beforehand, you will be freezing once you get out there. So, you know, I like to leave realistically two to two and a half hours before I can shoot is when I like to leave now, like sometimes, um, you know, I know there's going to be high competition for a spot or like it's open a day. It's going to be packed. You know, everybody's all rammed up, ready to go and get out there. So like last year we, um, we got to our blind at three o'clock in the morning and there were already guys there. And it was like, dang, I cannot believe this. Cause it's like, I left my house at two fifteen. Like what the heck's going on? So, <sighs> You know, getting out there, it kind of depends on your location, but, um, you know, realistically, you want to aim to be at your spot at least an hour before shooting light, you know, especially if you, like, we have blinds, we have an A-frame, we have a boat blind, um, we know some of the spots we're going to, there's natural brush pile-ups that we can just quick make into a little makeshift blind, but if you have to go somewhere and you have to find brush, and build a blind that takes time it takes time to find that brush it's dark out like that stuff takes time so you want to make sure that you're allotting yourself enough time so that when shooting light comes you're not caught with your pants down and there's birds flying um and even a little before shooting light it's amazing how many birds will actually start to move before shooting light and stuff and if you're ready a lot of times you can get them to come in close or come into the spread and, and hang out long enough that once shooting light comes, you know, you already got birds there. So, um, yeah, general, generally I like to be there an hour and an hour and a half before, before shooting light. Okay. Awesome, man. Now let's talk about, okay. So getting out there now let's talk about, uh, weapons. Okay. You know, remember we're doing it on a basic level. If someone, let's just say maybe they have the shotgun already, or they're trying to use like their Turkey shotgun or, you know, maybe the same shotgun they use for uh, another type of game animal. What would you kind of, I guess it'll be a two parter either recommend or, you know, kind of advice when it comes to what kind of weapon they should have or, and also ammunition. Okay. So we'll start with, we'll start with the shotgun. Um, I wouldn't really recommend turkey gun for two reasons. If you have like a gun that's doing like designated for turkey hunting, typically most turkey guns have the the, the pistol grip. Um, not saying that can't work for waterfowl, but it would probably be uncomfortable for what you're doing. You know, when you're hunting turkeys, you're kind of in a fixed position. You're staying real still. When ducks come in, you're you got to be quick on the gun and you got to be able to be mobile with that gun and with your swing and stuff. So. Um, basically if you have, you know, an 870 pump, a Mossberg pump, if you have an over under a side by side shotgun, if you have a single shot, I've, I have a single shot that I take out sometimes just cause it's fun. You know, you get one shot and, uh, while the birds are there and it, you gotta make it count. So, um, the biggest thing is, is if you're new to waterfowl hunting, you can't have more than three shells in your gun total, one in the mag or one in the chamber, two in the mag. So if you have a pump or if you have a semi-auto, it's got to be plugged. You have to have a plug in that mag tube so that that mag tube cannot take more than two shells. Um, if, if you don't and you get stopped, they will, they will hit you for it. Um, and what people have to realize too, is you really have to follow the regulations when it comes to waterfowl hunting, because it's not, 
it, you're not just like hunting in your state. It's a federally regulated species. So the level of consequences is kind of amped up because they're going to be a lot pickier. They're going to be a lot, you know, more of a stickler about stuff than they are if like you were out hunting pheasants and, uh, yeah, I, I forgot this or, you know, this or that. And it's like, they're going to be, there's going to be a lot more, you know, pressure on, on you to make sure you have your stuff in a line. So you can use any, you can use any shotgun. You can, if you have a 12 gauge, if you have a 20 gauge, you know, 16 gauge, if you have a shotgun, it'll work. Um, I know they sell waterfowl loads for four tens. Um, I don't know. You'd have to check the regs in your state to make sure that your state allows you to use them. Um, personally, I wouldn't be a fan of using one, you know, ducks are, you know, they're, they're pretty hardy birds and stuff. So not saying it's impossible, especially if you have a youth hunter with you, but I would recommend at least probably a 16 gauge for waterfowl hunting. And like I said, it could be a single shot. It could be a double barrel, you know, it could be a pump semi-auto as long as it can't hold more than three shells at one time combined, you know, it'll work. Yo, let me ask you this because this would this would be something that maybe uh, someone just getting into it ask would ask. Now, obviously, we can research it and stuff. Um, so this will be another two part question. Do you know why that is a regulation uh, in the country? And also, what if you only have two, but it doesn't have that plug in it? So I'm not a hundred percent sure why it's it's that way. If I had to guess, and this is I probably have looked it up before and I just don't remember. Throw that theory I had to in guess, there, man. Throw that theory. <laughs> yeah. If I had to guess, it's because you have species limits when you're hunting waterfowl. Like in PA, we are only allowed to shoot two mallards. Right. That's we, it. We have some you know? down here also. I think our we're only allowed three. to shoot three wood ducks. And sometimes, too, you can shoot a bird and it doesn't fall right away. You know, you might clip it and then it, it takes 30 yards for it to fall. So if I had to guess, the reason is, is so that you're not just boom, 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 boom. And it's like, oh, shoot, I just killed four out of these five birds that just came in and I could only shoot three, you know. So I think they do it so that you're not overshooting your limit to kind of cut back on on those accidents happening. Um, You know, I've seen it with doves and stuff. I I shot a, a black duck one time and it took 60 yards for that thing to drop. And when it dropped, it was dead. It was dead where it dropped, but 60 yards for it to drop. And it's like, you know, if, if you didn't, if you didn't know, if you didn't think you hit it and you keep shooting and you knock two other birds down, it's like, you know, I got to double check. I think we're only allowed one black duck might be two now, but you know, if, if you had six black ducks come in, you're only allowed two and you shoot and the first one doesn't drop and it flies, it starts flying off. So you shoot two more because you thought you missed then you're then you're over your limit and then you're in trouble you know so if i had to guess it's probably to cut down on overshooting on your species limits um but yeah okay Okay. i mean that that does make sense when you when you put it that way and that's kind of what i thought was either help um you know kind of knock that factor out of taking you know because i mean ignorance is never going to be an excuse for the law it doesn't matter if you have the craziest story in the world of hey um you know this duck 
wasn't dead and started flying off, so I shot more, and then he ended up dying. Like, the the game warden's really not going to care what crazy story you come up with, so it definitely I can definitely see why that would kind of be a good theory for that. Yeah, yeah, and realistically, too, if you have more than three, if you're shooting more than three shells, I can tell you right now, <laughs> sometimes I'll shoot all three and miss. So it's like you're just wasting ammo at that point, you right. know? If, so it's it's not a bad thing to have. Um, but I guess the, the next thing to go to would be, um, shells, you know, um, first of all, you want to make sure you get the right shells for your gun. Most, I would say the average waterfowl load is in a three inch shell. Um, I have a old Browning a five. It can only take two and three quarters. Um, so you want to make sure that the shells you buy are the right length for what your gun can handle. Um, the next thing is, is you can't shoot any lead. Um, obviously right now that's because it's going in the water. I mean, is that, yes. I just yeah, like so. everyone to kind of know, like I'm the kind of person where I, I understand something better when I actually understand it. It's easier to follow a law when you understand why. Yeah. So you can't shoot lead because it's toxic to the birds. It's going in the waterway, pollutes the waterway over time. Um, you know, ducks a lot of times will feed off the bottom and stuff. So if they're picking, you know, believe it or not, they'll pick up, little lead bbs and stuff oh, that I'm they sure. find yeah. in the I water mean, it shining you know? and stuff yeah for sure yeah if you you know if you shoot a bird and, and you hit it but it doesn't die and it flies off it can get you know lead poisoning from that and all so you want to make you know you can't shoot lead um there are any in recent years the the advancements in technology and waterfowl loads has gotten crazy you know they have tungsten loads and bismuth and stuff which you know apparently shoot very close to what lead shoots at because lead has a lot of knockdown power um when it comes to shooting waterfowl and stuff and apparently you know these tungsten loads and stuff they are very close to the same amount of knockdown power that lead has but if you want to buy a box of tungsten shells you might pay 85 dollars for one box one box that has 25 shells steel will work just fine you can just, especially if you're new to this, steel works just fine. You know, you can use steel. It's going to kill birds. Honestly, in my opinion, if you need that heavy load, um, and we'll dive into choke tubes after this, and you need an extra full choke, you aren't decoying birds close enough. And, um, <clears throat> you know, if you're shooting at birds that are 60 yards out with a tungsten load and a full choke, like, yeah, I knocked them out. It's like, well, why didn't you decoy them? Decoy them is half the fun. And, um, you know, it, it makes for a more ethical shot. So if you have a, if you're decoying birds at 30 yards, you're knocking them down with steel. It doesn't matter. It takes one, it, at that point, it takes one BB to the head and they're, they're falling. And at that, at 30 yards, you know, you're, you're knocking that bird down with steel. Um, so yeah, steel shot, uh, depending on what ducks you're hunting, if you're hunting bigger ducks, um, like mallards and, you know, like your bigger puddle ducks and stuff, a lot of guys like to use twos, um, this way too, sometimes, um, goose seasons overlap with duck seasons and you can shoot both. Um, so people end up using two shot cause it's a bigger shot size. So it works great for knocking the bigger ducks down. And if you happen to get some geese coming in your spread, it knocks them down pretty well, too. I like to use, uh, I'll use two shot, especially like if I get in a hunt, if we get in divers, diving ducks, I like to use two shot because those birds can take a beating and 
not die. Um, <clears throat> but I like to use fours when I'm hunting like wood ducks and stuff and, and such. And even when I'm hunting bigger puddle ducks, depending on where I'm hunting and how close I'm decoying birds and stuff, I'll use four shot. My favorite is three shot. I love three shot cause it's a happy medium between a two, uh, size two shot and a size four shot. Um, so whether I'm shooting smaller ducks, bigger ducks, you know, it's right in between and, and that's what I like to shoot. But, you know, obviously if, like you said, it was, you want to go out and try it out this weekend. If you walk into your local shop and all they have are twos, that'll work fine. If all they have are fours, that works too, you know. Now what's the, what's the price roughly looking for someone that needs to go out and get these shells like an average? Um, so ammo prices, especially waterfowl ammo has really gone up and it hasn't come down as much um you know a box of three shot three inch three shot like heavy steel by um heavy shot used to cost like 15 bucks i think i pay like 25 bucks a box now for it i would have to double check on that so depending on the manufacturer you're going to pay different for it um you know obviously if you can and they have it try and go for a more known brand um like uh i like to shoot either kent um, I'll shoot Winchesters. I'll shoot, um, the heavy steel. I do like that stuff. Uh, heavy shot, heavy steel. Um, our new favorite, mine and Corey's new favorite is the Browning wicked wing ammo. Um, but you want to go for something that's known. I know like last year and this isn't to bash any ammo brand, but I bought some 20 gauge, uh, Rio's um off a friend he had had him sitting in his cabinet since he bought him and he never used them so i bought him for my little brother's 20 gauge and every time he shot either the shell was a dud or the shell would like not you know fully burn the powder and stuff um we had a wadding get stuck in his choke tube and he had like a modified in so what i like to say is is kind of figure out what the known the big known waterfowl ammo manufacturers are and stick with those. You know, I'm not saying Rio is not really a known brand. I know that a lot of people shooting for upland and stuff and small game, but like your big names when it comes to waterfowl ammo would be, um, like the Browning wicked wing, uh, the Winchester, there's the experts in the blind sides, um, Kent fast steel, heavy, heavy steel, um, there's some other ones out there too, like Boss. Boss is really expensive, and I don't know if they sell to um, retail stores or if you just have to order through their website. But um, you know, I know too, like Black Cloud's a big one, and that really blew up after Duck Commander came out. I stopped shooting Black Cloud one because I always felt it was a very dirty load. Now I don't know if that's changed. It's been like five years since I shot it. Um, but I always found too, we had a lot of waddings get stuck in barrels and it was like, thank God there was not a follow-up shot after that one because, you know, that could have been detrimental. So if I had to recommend an ammo brand to start with, Winchester Experts or um, Blindsides, uh, Browning Wicked Wing, Kent Fast Steel, uh, heavy, any of the heavy shot ammos, heavy steel, heavy hammer, stuff like that. Um, uh, actually, Winchester, it might be Super X, not Expert. I can't remember. Um, but try and stick to a, a pretty known ammo brand just because the chances of you having um, a problem 
are less. You know, they have it figured out. They've been doing it a long time. So, but yeah. Okay, awesome, man. That answer is that. Now, let's you you had mentioned choke tubes. Since we're on the the weaponry part for basics, what are we looking like for basic tubes? Okay, so um, your basic tubes that come with your gun work fine. Um, a lot of people are really big into, oh, I got to get this choke tube and the top of line choke tube um, and stuff. Your basic tubes that are in your gun will work fine. Um, a modified will work fine in a shotgun. Like I said, if you're decoying birds at 30 yards, there is no need for an aftermarket choke tube. There is no need for anything other than the factory choke in your gun. 30 yards, as long as your gun is shooting well, you're shooting well, you'll knock a bird down with a factory choke. I shot a factory choke for years. In fact, I think just two years ago, I ended up buying, you know, I was shooting the heavy shot stuff a lot. So they had a Black Friday deal and I bought um, one of their choke tubes. And I actually found that I didn't like the way it shot with the heavy shot ammo. It tended to shoot high and to the right. Um, Now, this choke shoots great with rounding wicked wing. So, you know, it's like the best pattern that I've had come out of the choke tube in my, in my gun. So that's the other thing. When you get into shooting with aftermarket choke tubes, it's not just, you have to, you know, just throw the choke tube in there. It's good to go. You have to go pattern your gun. And not only do you have to pattern it, you have to find out which ammo works the best then with that choke tube. There's a whole, you know, there's a whole thing to buying an aftermarket choke tube for your gun um that you have to do it costs money it takes time you know you got to figure that out and stuff your factory choke tubes are made by the manufacturer for that gun they work for that gun they will work fine and you can use those so awesome man well hopefully if anyone has any questions um, i'm just writing this in the show notes i like to keep track of, of everything we talk about it's such great knowledge man especially for a beginner and we do all types of perspectives so it's nice to put them all together but um definitely good there now let's see here so we've talked about regs we've talked about scouting we've talked about when you're just really just getting out there for the first time knowing your area uh we've talked about more regs and laws (laughs) and uh and then also um uh weaponry ammunition uh basic apparel so i guess the next part would be and you mentioned decoying let's just talk a basic you said you would duck hunt usually in the beginning let's just talk a basic um wood duck setup when you're going out there you're a newbie you got your gear you got your gun you got your choke tubes your ammunition you're ready to go let's talk how they would go about setting up that basic decoy yeah so i'm in the atlantic flyway and we seem to have a very big abundance of wood ducks. Um, so like early season, like I said, we mainly just target wood ducks. Um, they're the most abundant species around at that time. Um, you know, like two years ago, there's a small Creek right by my house. I drove over, walked in. The Creek wasn't as wide as a roadway where I set up. Um, it wasn't more than knee deep throughout the whole thing. I threw six decoys, six wood ducks decoys out. I had my limit in 10 minutes. I was done. 10 minutes. I was done. Um, but that's not going to happen every time because this past year I went out and the whole week long season, I think I, I hunted every day. I hunted every single morning that entire week I went out. I shot one wood duck that entire time. Wood ducks are a very wary bird. They're very cautious. Um, so you don't need a lot of decoys to kill them. Um, 
but basic wood duck spread half a dozen to maybe a dozen and a half wood duck decoys you can throw some mallards in there too because depending on where you're at you might get some mallards coming in um you can throw some black ducks in there uh if you're in the atlantic flyway there's especially the further towards the coast you are there's a good chance that you might you know see or, or get some black ducks coming in um but yeah if you're hunting you know that kind of first season you know especially in the atlantic flyway here you know uh half a dozen to a dozen and a half wood ducks or half a dozen to a dozen wood ducks and some mallards that's a great spread to start with um obviously if you are just trying it out for the first time this coming weekend and all they have are a half dozen wood ducks or a half dozen mallards at your local store pick them up and use them you know ducks will decoy to pretty much any duck decoy but it helps when birds are pressured or birds are wary to have a realistic spread set up for what you're targeting. You know, you don't necessarily want to be targeting wood ducks with, you know, black duck decoys. It's just, you know, it's not going to work that well. You may get ducks to come in, but it might not work that well. So you want to try and, you know, match your decoy spread up to the species you are targeting. Um, if you do some scouting and find you got tons of mallards and widgeon around, go pick up a half dozen mallards and a half dozen widgeon, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> or even just a half dozen mallards, you know, puddle ducks, you know, mallards are the dominant waterfowl species in North America. They are the most plentiful species of waterfowl we have. So pretty much any ducks decoy to mallards but <clears throat> excuse me like i said you know you want to kind of try and target the ducks you're killing with the same species of decoys so that's a pretty good universal decoy to use then yeah mallards are like my first year going out i bought a dozen flambeau mallards i think they cost me 40 bucks and i bought a half dozen wood duck decoys which at the time cost me i think about the same um i know i was looking at i needed to get some more wood duck decoys for this year and i was seeing some pretty crazy prices um but you know you can you can start out with that and that'll work fine you know like i said that really kind of comes back to the scouting in your area and, and knowing what you're seeing but if you know you're seeing a bunch of different ducks, you know, different puddle ducks and stuff. And all your local store has is a $40 pack of mallards. Buy it and use it and you can have success with it. Now, let me ask you with the decoys, you obviously, what do you, do you have like a, like a setup? Uh, I think somebody had mentioned to me before it was called like a spreader. And, and I know you also need weights on them. How do you kind of do it when you're from the bank, when you're hunting from the bank? Yeah, so um, when it comes to weight, it depends the, the decoy rigs, and that will be the string with the weight on it, whatever that setup is. There's, you know, a regular cord with a weight on it where it's just a cord you wrap around the keel and it has a weight on it. Um, there's Texas rigs, which are, um, they're basically a PVC cord, and they have a loop on one end, um, and then they have a weight on the other, and there is a swivel that slides up and down the line. Um, that you clip the decoy to. And what's nice about these is, is that loop on the end, you can clip a dozen decoys into a carabiner and sling them over your shoulder. And the decoys all slide down to the bottom where the weight is and you can carry them out. Oh, nice. um, but if you're hunting, if you're hunting a river and the water's kind of fast moving, 
a lot of times those decoy setups, like they only come in certain with certain weights on them. Like you might be able to find like three ounce, four ounce, you know, five ounce, like six ounce might be the most, which six ounce usually will be enough. But depending on, you know, how fast the water is moving and stuff, what the current's like, you know, what you got going on, that may not work. So then you might have to use the cord and weight setup. Um, the other thing is, too, is typically Texas rigs, you either have to buy the stuff and make them yourself or you have to buy them. So if they're not available, you know, some paracord or, um, yeah, some paracord and just fishing weights and stuff, that works fine, too, for doing the just cord and weight setup. Um but the other thing is, too, with the Texas rigs is they come at set lengths. So say you're hunting a spot and it's chest deep, you have to make sure that your decoy cord will be able to reach the bottom because if not, you're going to end up losing decoys. So that kind of everything kind of ties back into scouting your spot and knowing what's going to work for you. I have some that are on Texas rigs. I have some that are cords and weights. You know, it all depends on what where i'm going to be hunting and what the what the water is like so <clears throat> what else do you think we need to touch on with this basics episode we're in about 45 minutes in so we got about 15 minutes or so left um you know from my end it sounds like we covered a, a good bit of people getting into it but what do you think we missed here yeah so just getting into it i know a lot of people are like oh motion 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 um I use spinners. I love using spinners. Um, I think they work pretty well. Uh, you don't need a spinner to start. And um, actually, believe it or not, it's one of the best ways still to add motion to your spread, spread and kill ducks is still the age-old jerk cord. And you can make a jerk cord at home. All you really need is like a heavy anchor. So like, you know, an anchor from your boat, like you know, a 10 pound, you could use a dumbbell, a 10 pound dumbbell dumbbell, and you need to have like a bungee cord on it. And then you just take a long piece of paracord, you tie some uh, swivels onto it, space them about two to three feet apart. And you run that cord, make sure it's long enough to reach all the way into your blind. And you clip the decoys on there. And when you're trying to work ducks and stuff you give that cord a jerk and what happens is with that bungee cord on there when you pull it it moves the decoys creates movement in your spread ripples on the water and then the bungee cord pulls it back so what that does is it takes your stagnant decoys that are just sitting there because typically waterfowl aren't stagnant in the water just sitting there and it adds motion to them and it just makes it look like hey there's ducks down there doing stuff what are they doing? We got to go check it out. You know, so you don't have to go out and spend $80 on a spinner to get into it. If you want to, you want to give it a go, go right ahead. Go buy that spinning wing decoy. You know, if you want to just make sure that you have the motion in your spread, you know, like I said, you got a dumbbell sitting at home. You got a boat anchor sitting at home for your boat. <clears throat> you know, all you got to do is a little ingenuity to get a bungee cord rigged up on there some swivels tied onto it and you can make a jerk cord very very simple and that will help add all the motion you need to your spread so um let's talk about calling we we didn't touch on that what kind of call basic calling do you do you know sun's coming up wood ducks are about to fly in are you how how are you calling them in so there's blind calling 
um, and then there's calling at ducks. Blind calling is basically you're just making noise so that other ducks that might be in the area hear you. Sometimes this is great. Sometimes it isn't because sometimes if there's birds that are cautious or wary or what you're doing doesn't sound that realistic, um, it may slam the door on them and they're not coming in. Um, the other thing is, uh, is that, you know, if there's, you know, birds, you know, flying and you're doing that and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, hang on. That don't sound right. You know, they might not, they might not work in your spread. Um, wood ducks are pretty difficult to call at. Um, you kind of need to practice quite a bit with your calls to kind of really be able to work them in, but it is doable. It does work. Um, lots of people say, ah, you can't, you know, you can't call wood ducks into your decoys. Well, I can tell you right now you can, cause I've done it. I know other people who have done it. I've seen videos, of other people doing it and, um, they wouldn't make a wood duck call if you couldn't call them in your spread. Wood ducks are just a difficult decoy or a difficult bird to decoy in general. Um, as far as calls go, to start out, if you have wood ducks and you want to pick up a call and practice on it and, and give it a go, go right ahead. Wood duck calls are pretty inexpensive. I know um, there's two types. There's a squealer and there's a J-frame. They both have a little different tone to them. Um, the squealer is pretty, pretty straightforward and simple. It's just a, a little insert that makes like a squeal noise because that's kind of how wood ducks sound. Um, you know, and wood duck calls range anywhere from you know, like 10, seven bucks to maybe 25 bucks at the most. I think, you know, I'm at like 15 for my wood duck call. And that's just a simple squealer. The duck commander J frame wood duck call might be like 20 bucks or something, but, uh, you can pick one of those up if you want to give it a go and put that time in practicing and listening and stuff. Um, but other than that, if I had to recommend calls to have for your first time going out, if you have a little time to practice with them, just pick up your simple mallard hen call and a drake whistle. <laughs> Those two calls right there can be your bread and butter and all you'll ever need. Um, now, there's tons of different calls out there on the market, and they all have different sounds. They all have different capabilities and stuff. Um, you know, I have a couple of my own calls on my lanyard just because they make different sounds. I can do different things with them, different cadences which that all comes with practice and practicing your calls and gaining that experience. But, um, I have one of your wood squealer calls. Do you have a, a wood duck call on you right now? I don't have a woody call on me. I was going to say, I, man, if you wanted to toot a little bit, uh, put the phone on the, on the truck bed and toot a little sounds for us, but we can always do that on, on another time. Yeah. We'll have to do another podcast and really dive into calling at different ducks. But like, um, you know your your drake whistle my favorite is the duck commander drake whistle i like it the best out of any drake whistle i've ever used and it still functions as like that five in one whistle um a lot of times especially if it's late season the drake whistle will be your go-to call um to really help finish wary birds and stuff and a drake whistle is really simple um so you get you get the whistle and with if you have a duck commander whistle it's it's they're green and they're like a long tube um i like to take my hand and basically i wrap my thumb and my index finger around the end of the call and then i basically almost make an extension of the tube with my hand and just cut my hand 
and you're just going to lightly blow into it and say, ah, so I'll let you know what that sounds like right here. And that's a Drake whistle. And that's, you know, how Drake sound. And a lot of times that will decoy birds really well. And it also adds to if you have you and a buddy calling and stuff. Um, if you, you know you got one guy working the Drake whistle and these guys are doing hen calls and stuff, it adds to that realism to help seal the deal on decoying birds. Um, so... All right, so I think I'm just looking through here. Um, I'm just making sure that we covered as much basics as possible. But all right, we're, we're, we've killed some birds. We've checked. We made sure that we're legal. We're heading back to the truck. What do we What do we do now? So, um, one of the new things that came out recently is um, you have to put you have to know which birds are yours because um, you have species limits. Um, and basically, what happened was is You'd have six guys go out and everybody would shoot until everybody's species limit would fill up. So even if it's like, you know, you got six guys and this guy didn't shoot or, you know, you got six guys, you're allowed three wood ducks per person. Um, so you have 15 wood ducks and it's like, okay, well, we can, sh we can collectively shoot one more wood duck. They wanted to do away with that because then what happens is, is you have one person, they shot five wood ducks when really they were only allowed three. But because there were six people there, they were able to get a total of 18. So they wanted to get rid of that. So what you need to do is you need to know which birds are yours. And um, there's a company out there called Toe Tags LLC. And basically what they do is they make a little yellow tag. Um, that you fill out, you put your name and, and your information on there and you just tie it to the leg of the birds. So that way, if the game warden stops you, it's like, these are my birds right here. These are the birds I killed. You know, you, you have to know which birds are yours so that that way it can't be like, well, who shot these and who shot, oh, well, I think these three are mine. Like, it doesn't work like that. They want to know, they want you to know exactly what birds you shot so you're not shooting over your your personal species limit. Now, what about uh, what about uh, as far as table fare and stuff? Are you putting them in a cooler? You know, depending on the temperature outside. What are you doing when you get home with the bird? Uh, I don't hunt that far from home usually, so you know, I have like typically at most I have like a 20, 20 minute drive home from the spot. I just throw them in the boat, and then when I'm done, I'll probably throw them in the cat in the bed of the truck and drive home. If it's really hot, you know, like if you were hunting early teal or something, you might want to throw them in a cooler um, just for the ride home. But then when you get home, um, you want to, you know, depending on how you want to cook them, if you want to cook them whole, you can do that. Um, we usually breast them out, and we'll just pluck them and then clean the breast, you know, cut the breasts out of them and stuff. Uh, you can pluck them where you're hunting but if you pluck them and this may vary state to state so don't take my word for it depending on where you live if you pluck them you have to leave um the head and one full wing feathered so that they can identify the species and the sex of the bird because in some states like pa we can only we can shoot a total of two mallards but only one can be a hen mm, okay 
So, I know yeah. we did that. Uh, I went till hunting last year with a member here in Florida, and we did. We had. A, I'm pretty sure we had to keep that. Um, and uh, also, just everyone, just know your state's regulations, because I don't know how it is in a lot of states, but even down here in Florida, um, it goes by WMAs. So you might have. We have, <clears throat> for example, we have Green Swamp and Richland. They actually touch each other. They're separated by a river on the east side, and then there's a highway, and then. You know, one's above the other. So um, one of them's managed very well. It's really strict. You know, that's where the state record came out of in 99 and, um, you know, things like that. The other one, you know, they, they dog hunted hard during rifle season, um, which, quote unquote, that actually helps our turkey population. But we won't go into that, that rabbit hole. Um, but they dog hunt one of them. So it pushes a lot of hogs and predators out of an area. Um, but the ducks, you know, they stay on the river because most of the time the river doesn't get ran. But you'll have regulations about one WMA and not the other. Um, so definitely know those regs for sure because ignorance is no excuse for the law. And I just would always hate to see someone hemmed up on something. You know, most of the time people are cool. You know, a lot of the game wardens I talk to, they're cool. Um, but that doesn't mean you're not going to get somebody that's really following the book and things like that. So definitely know those regs. Nothing, nothing can put a sour taste in your mouth than getting in trouble hunting, um, you know, and, and all that comes with that. So I'm not speaking yeah. from experience, but I have heard stories. So, Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I have a little bit of experience of that. We were dove hunting last year, and I had just bought this new, uh, that Browning A5 off of my boss. And um, it's a light 12. It's from the 50s. And I checked it. I checked it. It didn't have a plug in it, but I checked to make sure. I said, let me see how many shells this mag tube holds. And I could only get two in the gun. Well, I got checked, and at the time, I only had three shells in the gun. And the warden was super cool. He was, you know, they let me off with a warning. I had another gun in the truck. Um, and it's funny because I've now built kind of a relationship with the wardens in my area through conservation stuff and all for waterfowl. And I actually ran into him he came brought his car into work and i noticed who he was out of uniform and him and i got to talking for a while and i was like you know to this day i still can't get three shells in that mag tube without a plug in it and he just laughed and you know he's like i'm glad i let you off with a warning because what it seemed like it might have been was is that the shell was hanging up but the purpose of this story is not every game warden is going to be generous about a honest mistake you know, so make sure you're not making those honest mistakes, especially when it comes to waterfowl hunting, because like I said before, it's not like a pheasant where it's a state managed bird. It's a federally regulated species and the consequences can be ha more harsh and more severe if you make certain mistakes, you know. So you really want to read over those regulations and know, <clears throat> know the rules and stuff before you go out. Um for instance, like here in PA, we have three different goose zones and, you know, there's dividing lines and stuff. You have to know your, you know, know where that dividing line is because here where I am, we're in uh, a zone where you can only shoot one goose during the, the later seasons. But in the rest of the state, you can shoot, I think, five. So, you know, and I'll play devil's advocate with that. Like, you know, it's just think about how many times a game board's probably – you know, I, I'll use an example. Uh, growing up, uh, I had this buddy, wild dude. He was a wild cat, uh, more wild than me. And, you know, he was very known to shove a trout or two in his waders. That's that's what he did. He he would eat them, and he just, he just wasn't the most 
uh, legal with that, and I won't say his name or anything like that. It's been over 20 years, so I think statute of limitations has took effect anyways. But um, you know, he would do that, and I tell you what, um, you know, we would he we would always get caught by a game warden. You know, we'd always tell him, bro, don't do that. You know, we're not gonna fish with you no more if you keep on. And he always be like, I won't, I won't. And then we'd always end up catching. Well, the game warden knew him very well. I'm from a small town. We had like one game, one or two game wardens. And uh, he literally would always be like, hey, you know, so-and-so, come here. Let me check your waiters. We'd always laugh. It'd always be funny. We're always like, dude, come on, man. You know you're going to get in trouble. You know you're going to get a fine. Um, but he would still always, you, you know, he was just a, you know, quote-unquote kind of a bad apple. And he, uh, the game where, you know, the guy would give him the craziest stories. You know, this is someone I'm not friends with anymore, but, you know, I was young. Uh, you know, when I was 12, 13, most of my friends were 16, 18 years old. So, uh, you know, it was it was funny because we would we'd looking back now, he'd give these crazy harebrained stories of how these trout got in his waders and and you know, oh they must have swam up, you know, I, I went under the water and they you know, he'd have these crazy stories. So the game would always look at me be like, Okay, okay, you know. So I do like to play devil's advocate with that of, you know, the reason they are being strict or, or messing with you is because someone's more than likely uh, doing the wrong thing and has done got busted so now you know as much as it's not fair to do that now everyone is you know uh guilty until proven innocent is the way i like to put it but yeah um, you know yeah. i have a lot of good relationships now that i'm older once you kind of see you know well you know when you get lied to 30 times a day uh, by people and, and things like that, you tend to not give the benefit of the doubt a lot of the times. Um, you know, and I have come across some that are just straight buttholes, man. And I'm like, dude, you must have didn't have a good cup of coffee this morning or something. And then I've come across some that are literally like, bro, I seen a deer in this spot. You should go hunt it and I'll go over there and, you know, see something. So, oh yeah. I mean, we have, I think there's three, um, like, warden wardens from my area the one that i'm real close with he is a land management warden now obviously if something goes down he can you know fully you know take responsibility as a game warden and write you a ticket and and stuff like that and do an investigation on you but his main thing is land management but the other three wardens we know very well you know we hunt the same area they're there checking everybody's tags and stuff and and we know you know we know him well and you know i can't call him up and say hey you want to go have a beer this weekend but you know we know them well enough that when they run into us they recognize us and all and um the one day i was actually we my we were dropping off a deer that we had shot that was sick and um they were we were talking with them and stuff and they were like hey listen if you guys want to hunt coyotes like you know right up here behind the building is where you know the deer pit is where we dump the sick deer and you know come over here and and, and shoot them he's like they're everywhere they're wreaking havoc on the pheasants here and stuff like just go set up right there and it was like cool like you know they're, watched, they're, they're really cool i watched the game warden last year i went to a wma and uh saw a game warden and um you know he was kind of I want to say he was being like sneaky kind of like he was kind of like hiding in the bush. So I ended up pulling up to him. Uh, we were actually going to get water. It was like two o'clock and I had my father-in-law with me. It got real hot. So we're like, we're going to go, we're going to go get some water. And we were driving there and I pull up to him. I'm like, Hey, what's up, man? You know, why are you creeping in this bush over here? And he's like, I was actually watching some quail, uh, before you came down the road. And, um, 
And that's what I was doing. And I looked and he's like, check that out. And I'd actually never seen quail. Well, they had reintroduced quail and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, you know, in this, you know, this time we're actually going to open a season up and, you know, this is going to be a quota for me. And he was just giving me all this insider tips. And it just, it was so nice because that's not something that you're not going to see that on the FWC website. You're not going to probably hear a local at a gas station talk about it, you know, or on social media. Um, and it just, it felt like a really, it was actually a really good experience um, with him and seeing, you know, kind of land management at work. I really liked seeing that. Yeah. And that's another thing too. If you're respectful to the game wardens and you're following the rules and stuff, you're not a known troublemaker or even causing any trouble at the moment and everything. You know, a lot of times they're pretty they're pretty cool guys. You know, they're they're just out there to make sure the laws being followed so that everybody enjoys, you know, and can enjoy doing what we do. And the other thing is, is when you think about it, your your taxes from your hunting license and gear and everything like in Pennsylvania, that funds, you know, the game commission Our taxes and stuff fund the game commission. So these guys are out there and they're just there to make sure that the rules are being followed. And when you really think about it, you know, everything you have, if you're hunting state land, state managed land is from, from you because it wouldn't be there if you didn't buy a license every year, you know, and your neighbor didn't buy a license every year. So they're out there just to make sure that, you know, everybody's being respectful to what everybody has paid for, um, in some form of, you know, in some form of way. So I like seeing my money at work, man, especially with the good ones, you know, like, you know, like when I talk to him and he's literally watching a family of quail that he himself released, like it's nice seeing that type of stuff. We see too much negative things, but you know what? There's a lot of crappy people out there. There's people shooting deer from the truck. There's people, I just got off the phone with a guy from uh, Arkansas this morning that has had six trail cameras stolen on his little piece of property he had just recently bought. Like, that's, like, disgusting. And those right. are the people I hope get the book. You know, that's who I want the game warden to to get yeah. hard. You know, that, that's what I like to see my tax dollars at work. Because you're taking away from conservation. You're taking away from us other hunters that are doing the right thing. Um, and, uh, you know, you should you should get in trouble for that. Right. And, like, um, you know, last year, the second day of dove season, Corey shot a banded dove. And, um, you know, I know the warden, the, the warden who I know, he, uh, you know, I know he's the one who bans it and he takes care of the managed dove fields and all. And I sent him a picture and he's like, oh, that's awesome. I banded that bird. Like, that's so cool. That like, is cool, bro. You know, he was like all into it and stuff because it was like, he banded that bird. Like that was, you know, that was really cool for him and all. And I mean, he loves it when he, he loves that, you know, we're always so willing to help with stuff. I know you know once our schedules line up we're hoping to build some brush piles on some of the local game lands for rabbits and stuff because they've seen a real um a lot of benefit from them and it helps get rid of invasive species because we cut the invasives down and then we treat them with something so they can't come back and we build these brush piles and the rabbits really benefit from them but like him and i you know we we talk about stuff all the time and and you know he loves it when i come out and i'm banning ducks and stuff and you know, he lets me film it. He's like, yeah, just, you know, you know, come out and film it and stuff. He's like, one of the biggest things is, is people think we're out there to be the bad guys and they don't see this side of us. So he's like, I cleared it with, you know, the big guys up top and stuff. As long as, you know, what you're, you know, what you're sharing is, you know, is not 
something you're doing to be derogatory towards us. He's like, we don't have a problem with it. And, and I love it. It's so much fun. You know, I never in my life thought that I would be holding waterfowl and putting a band around her ankle. It's like, this is, this was awesome. So no, it is, man. And I look forward to when you start doing that again, we're definitely going to get some content out there of it and uh, definitely do webinar podcast. We're going to do something so that we can share that conservation. Cause you know, service site is about uniting hunters and we have a lot of other perks and things like that, you know, product hookups, but those are our two main focuses is uniting hunters and promoting conservation and everything else is great and we definitely try to be well-rounded, but those will always be top one and top one always. So love to see that type of stuff. Um, Absolutely. So Sean, we went over a ton of basics. Listeners out there, if you're listening to this podcast, we're going on about an hour. So we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. We are going to be doing another podcast um, soon, I will put out a post or a poll or something. We were going to do it on calling um, to go more into depth, but also we're going to extend an invite. If you guys have any questions at all, um, anyone at all that listens to this podcast, let us know. Drop them in the comments. Shoot us a message, etc. But, Sean, do you have anything else that you'd like to throw in for basics uh, that we might have missed? Um, not really. If you guys have any questions too, feel free to shoot me a message on Facebook. Um, I'll try, you know, to get back to you as soon as, as soon as I can. Uh, if you message the, the business account too, I tend to see a little bit more of those in the sense of, you know, my personal Facebook is cluttered with, you know, other, other call makers and, and stuff like that and suppliers that I'm talking with. But if you have any questions, shoot me a message and stuff a lot of times i'll give people my phone number like hey text or call me anytime if you just want to talk hunting i wish i could sit around and just talk hunting with people all day like i would would love it if like i had (laughs) conversations with every service i member going just talking hunting no matter what it is what it is so if you just if you want to talk about anything it doesn't even have to be waterfowl and if you you know you got drew an elk tag this year and you're all psyched up you know an elk hunt's my dream hunt shoot me a message and let's talk about it but if you have any other questions or you're not sure or you need help on something shoot me a message you know i'm i haven't been doing this my whole life i've only been doing it for about seven years but we don't hunt like what you see on tv you know we're not out there and it's like you know pull up and 30 minute limit it's not like that we work for every bird that comes home with us so you know, I can provide insight and ingenuity and stuff to what you may need help with. And if I don't have a solution right off the bat, I guarantee you it'll be something that's on my mind. And when I think of something, you know, I'll, I'll help you out. So don't ever hesitate anybody to message me for any reason. If you just want to say, hey, what's up? Go right ahead. You know, add me as a friend. Shoot me a message. You know, like I said, I just love talking hunting. It's my favorite thing to do. Um, yeah, it's part of the reason I started this call company is because I hope that one day it's big enough where my life can just be centered around hunting and, you know, interacting with other hunters and stuff and, and just building calls and, and hunting and stuff. So don't ever hesitate to message me for any reason when it comes to hunting. I'll sit down and I'll talk with you as much as I can because that's what I love to do the most. Nice, man. I appreciate that. That's a that's a good wrap-up for us here. And what I'm going to do also is um, we have 
like I mentioned, we have Northern Timber Outfitters as our featured partner for this month. Um, you know, a featured partner, just a summary of it, is a company that we work with closely that puts conservation, you know, customer service, quality, um, ton of things like that top of mind. <clears throat> And with that comes a giveaway. So Sean's going to be giving out a couple um, awesome calls. Uh, we're going to be giving out some swag. Um, it's going to be a good time there. But what I'll do is in the show notes, I'll put that Facebook link to where I'm talking about you being the feature partner, Sean, um, so that people know how to get those extra entries if that's something they want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know um, I did some trivia giveaways and stuff for people who I haven't gotten back to yet i am working on the decals i know i told some people they're going to be going out um here today or tomorrow um i make everything that i sell is made in-house so sometimes you know especially you know with this being a side job i get backed up on things i will always put you as the customer first you know um i know i've been working on a duck call for one of the guys from service side and my guy who makes, who does band engravings has been backed up and I just, you know, I make sure I communicate with you guys and stuff. Um, you know, if you ever have any questions about ordering something, you want something custom done, just hit me up. You know, I will always put, you know, my customers first and stuff because without, without you guys, uh, I'm, I'm not here. I'm not doing this. So, you know, just <laughs> bear with me as we, we get through all this, but if you have any questions, let me know if, you know, um, maybe you ordered something and you have a question about it, just shoot me a text. Uh, if obviously one of the big things I push is everything, all the calls I make, they're warranted. If you break them, if they crack, I'll replace them. So don't ever hesitate to ask any questions, you know, or tell me about something. Give me constructive criticism. Um, I love constructive criticism because I like things a certain way, but maybe somebody else likes something different. So, you know, just let me know, guys, but I appreciate everything that the service side members have been doing for me this month, and I appreciate what the community is. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it, brother. We'll get you on again. We'll do get another podcast out here this month on some waterfowl hunting. Um, but like I said, drop those questions in the uh, comment section wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, feel free to shoot me a message at justin at um, or you can message me on the socials. Um, but, Sean, I'll fill those show notes up for you, man. Thanks again, and uh, y'all listening to Whitetail Theories Podcast. See you guys later.